Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we film and honor its place amongst its peers. My name is Rowan Wood, and joining me, as always, all things in heaven on earth are wonderful, and he's living proof of that. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. Loving life, not loving the cat's claws in my thigh, but that's okay. Yeah, We're having fun talking movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, today we are going to be talking about a German expressionist film from 1926 called Faust, uh, directed uh, by uh fw murnau who of course directed nosferatu uh which may or may not show up on one of my lists later on um mm, and uh yeah too. yeah so 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 this film is uh based on the traditional legendary tale of faust uh, as well as um as well as a more quote-unquote modern uh, 1808 version um that is a that is a two-part tragic play uh, that was drawn for the specific story elements um of this film uh so faust is essentially a a story a, a classic story of good and evil uh there's a plague uh going through um a uh, a german town uh and faust is an alchemist who is um who is basically called upon to help but faust gets corrupted uh by the demon mephisto uh you know who who actually did appear here like no one theorized that he would appear or anything he just he just did it maybe that's what you got to do you don't expect mephisto to show up and then boom he does it um yes like in the new ironheart series apparently mm -hmm. nobody saw that coming Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but why not? Um, also hearing that Sasha Baron Cohen may play him, which is which would be interesting, to say the least. Sure will. They but, didn't, um, see, didn't see that coming either. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Faust, uh, this film directed by Murnau, um, classic story of good and evil. Um, I really, really like this movie. Uh, I, I think it's a, a just not necessarily a, a perfect, but a perfect... Uh, exhibition of w what was possible with film mm -hmm. all, like almost a hundred years ago um with like absolutely stunning visual effects i think the effects are fantastic um despite having aged i mean some of them are still very very good um mm -hmm. especially for 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 the time and um and i just love the themes too uh you know uh, like on the surface you know there, there's good and then there's evil but then the character of faust is such a tragic figure in general and i think his arc is also um very interesting shane what did you think of this movie oh i love this this was my jam mm -hmm. like watching this there's so many amazing camera shots in this that yep. just like you didn't see in the two like the 1920s right in film and the production design the costumes the makeup everything is next level top notch it's some really strong like old school silent movie acting mm -hmm. like especially uh emil jennings who plays mephisto is having so much fun in that role and then you have everything else in this film from you know it has its elements where it's just like oh it's a romance because you know it's a romance. Right. Um, keep it simple. Um, there wasn't too many complexities in the romance in this. But, like, once you get past points, like, these people love each other. It's just, like, it is that what's going to conquer evil? Love. <laughs> it, it's, it, it is a little cheesy because it's, like, it's literally that obnoxious. It's literally written across. 
across the screen mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. But, you know, it feels like a 20s movie in many ways. And in many ways, it kind of transcends it because this is some really impressive filmmaking. Absolutely. Yeah. One one of the bits that that, that makes me think of for sure is um, there's a a scene where Faust is on the back of Mephisto's flying carpet and they're flying through the forest and the mountains. And there are, and there are a lot of POV shots. Uh, and there is only a couple times when I could tell that it was, uh, that it was a miniature, but most of it looked pretty flippin' fantastic. I, I genuinely thought that that was a real setting at first. And then I realized that there's no way they could have possibly done that with the, um, with the, like with the technology and with the angles that they were getting at that time, which, but, but, but the fact that I believe, you know, that I would have believed it now almost, almost mm-hmm. a century later is crazy. I can't imagine what audiences would have thought of it back then. There's one particular shot that I remember and it's a shot of a camera, like pulling straight up, like some kind of structure. And not only was it like pulling up along the structure, it was also like a Dutch angle. And I'm right. just like, I'm like, when did they do shots like this in the 1920s? Exactly. Like, it's like this is gonna sound like a silly comparison, but it felt like those drone shots in uh, ambulance that Michael Bay was doing. Yeah. Like, I don't think they had drones back in nineteen twenty six Germany. Exactly, exactly. But they sure made it work. It was really impressive, and you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for like those kind of old school. German expressionist. I'm not quite as big of a fan as, like, say, a Tim Burton. Uh, I think Tim Burton really, really loves him some German expressionism. Right. But it's it's striking. It's beautiful. This film is so unabashedly just goes there mm-hmm. in terms of the like that angel and devil imagery that it utilizes. It has such amazing designs for stuff, and it's impressive. They really put a lot of effort into bringing to life, like, the different shots of, like, these evil creatures and stuff like that. It's such a impressive world, and like you said before, like, the special effects are really impressive, and it's a strong, impactful, and poignant story of morality, mm-hmm. and it challenges you and by the end you know might not be the happiest of endings but you know good prevails over evil and it it feels like a precursor to films and stories like lord of the rings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that where it's just like it's the purest form of evil and temptation and stories of trying to overcome it Mm -hmm. totally yeah and um uh, this is <laughs> that was that was a great point. Now my point is gonna is gonna sound much less intelligent by comparison. Um, the uh, the whole plague storyline. Uh-huh. There were certain parts that really made me think about what's going on in the world right now in the last two years because there's a moment when um, when the townsfolk believe that. Um, are, are, are trying to convince each other and convince themselves that the plague is over and they don't have to worry about it anymore, and that strikes really close to home these days um specifically right now (laughs) exactly exactly uh and i just think it's unintentionally hilarious that way but like scary too especially considering that 
um, they went through a like, like the people of the earth went through a pandemic less than 10 years before this movie came out. So this was relatively fresh history for them, too. And the fact yeah. that they would choose to make a film about a plague, I just think is 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 very fascinating. Well, and Murnau is such a great pioneer of filmmaking. Like he legitimately made one of the first great horror films. Mm -hmm. And this is what, four years after Nosferatu. And this was one of his last films in Germany before he left, I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, he, he, he went to the U S and then he made, um, uh, sunrise, a song of two humans. Yep. And like, and it's interesting looking at this because doing my podcast, The Cinematic Wasteland, where I'm taking a trip through all the years of cinema, there's so many Faust adaptations in early cinema. And it's very interesting, like, what they do with the story. And I feel like this is, like, the quintessential this is the Faust adaptation and it right. really feels it and it really maximizes the feature length of an hour and 47 minutes and tells an impactful and engaging story with some incredible visuals. And I'm trying to see, like I have IMDB up and like, even just looking at more like this. And the first thing is Faust and Marguerite play and directed by George Milliers. Like, Milliers did a bunch of foul stories and stuff like that. And obviously, like, he was, like, king of special effects and being able to do stuff like that. Um, for those who are watching with video, it's just, like, this is a really impressive bit of, you know, makeup and everything mm-hmm. for Mephisto. And it just, this really stuck with me after I watched this. Mm-hmm absolutely yeah but i guess i suppose the question is how much did it stick with you aka where does it rank in the overall 23 films that we've seen so far so this is actually my number five number five wow i really really like this a lot Mm -hmm. so what would that be before and after it's right behind about time right in front of it's such a beautiful day nice very nice um Mine is, uh, it, it is number eight on my list, so right um, ahead of Shadow of a Doubt, but still behind In the Name of the Father. So, still pretty high up for both of us. Mm-hmm. Which I, like, I, I started had to really think about my uh, 20s rankings and stuff like that Right after watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of 20s rankings, uh, I do have to, uh, I do have a few fun facts before we get there, actually. Um, so, Actually, so due to the success of Murnau's previous movie, uh, which was The Last Laugh from 1924, uh, the studio promised to give him an unlimited budget in which to make this film. So he literally had carte blanche to make whatever he wanted. And let me let like let me just say, you do see the money on screen. I do think yeah. that, that 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 Faust really maximized that um, that promise. And uh, up until Metropolis, which was a year later, this was the most expensive German film. Which makes total sense, uh, yep. but Metropolis, of course, a two and a half hour epic, makes total sense. Why, why, why that outlasted it? Absolutely, and at least we get this whole film. Exactly. That's the sad yeah. Thing about Metropolis. Yeah. Um, although the version of Metropolis that I watched this past week uh, was uh, most 
of the like most if not all of the footage that uh that that still exists i know that there's still some lost i don't know if you've seen this 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 newer version shan um Um, i have where is it i have this kino of course i grabbed the wrong one (laughs) this is what happens when i'm not looking all the way so i have this uh kino the complete metropolis Mm -hmm. and this added back 25 minutes of restored footage. Mm-hmm. So someday maybe they'll find the rest. I don't right. know. But it still feels like a pretty complete film at least. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I mean, pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. The version that I watched was like almost two and a half hours and minimal title cards explaining what was happening in those lost scenes. So yeah, yeah not bad. Not bad at all. Um but uh, yeah, uh, in addition, um, so uh, in order to make enough prints to show this film at home and abroad, several different negatives were assembled with the German version, which was considered to be the superior one compared to the English export. Um, but many of the export takes were shot by a second cameraman on the set using different angles, often resulting in, in major differences between the two versions. So if you were to track down a German version or an English version, it might be like there might be a lot of noticeable differences. Um, and the English version even used custom made books and text inserts to create, you know, to create more of a more of a like a language rather to create less of a language barrier um for for the film so i don't i don't know like because the version i watched was the german version i don't know if the, if any english version still exist uh, but if they do i think that that would be pretty darn fascinating mm-hmm. um yeah okay so let us move on to our lists for this episode we are going to count down mm-hmm. our top five heaven and hell stories our top five silent films and our top five films from the 1920s uh shane would you like to start us off on heaven and hell stories I'm going to start singing some Dio. Um, Starting with my number five, it's Dogma. Kevin Smith, his most controversial film, has so much fun with organized religion and faith in this film. And seeing like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon as fallen angels, Jason Lee, I'm a demon. And (laughs) George Carlin is like like a corrupt cardinal. And Alanis Morissette's God. And everything in between. It's such a crazy ride of a movie. Um, My number four is Benedetta. Very recent film on my list from uh, Paul Verhoeven. And this is dealing with, like, based off of an actual nun who believes she saw Jesus Christ and saved the city from the plague. And this movie gets nuts. Like, it's very sexual. Very, very, very sexual. But then it even gets even nut- more nuts from there with it dealing with, oh my god. Hi. My uh, cat Murphy's going to join me talking about the rest of my favorite uh, films about heaven and hell. And he's a little black cat, so he's perfect for that. Aren't you, Murphy? So uh, my number three is Rosemary's Baby, because hail Satan! Uh, and Roman Polanski assured me to unbelievably chilling and horrifying film. Maybe just as chilling and horrifying as himself. Um, number two is The Exorcist. Um, this is legitimately one of my favorite faith-based films. And they made it an exorcism movie. <laughs> and also was the highest grossing film of all time when it came out, which is insane to me. Oh my God, Like thinking yeah. that the horror films like 
not only was it the highest grossing film of the year, it was the highest grossing film of all time. And it is still disturbing to watch today. And my number one is The Last Temptation of Christ. And obviously Scorsese takes a much more humanistic approach to Jesus Christ in this film, which is what made it so controversial among a lot of people. But it's such a fascinating look at Jesus and faith. And, you know, it's Jesus is meant to be God on earth. And this is such an impactful and visceral experience to watch. And especially after watching all of Scorsese's films on my show, Welcome to the Wasteland, that faith, it's everywhere. And obviously this is one of the more explicit ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I took a slightly different approach to this category. I am g- going for specifically, it ended up being mostly hell related, um, but films that, that, that more, more deal with hell and, and faith and all that, like more, more, more directly and more explicitly. Uh, and that more yielded literally. a very, a very interesting list. Yeah. Or literally um, my number five is justice league dark a uh, film that came out a couple Ooh. of years ago that brought a, a an unexpected and slightly controversial uh, dark edge to the DC film universe that they decided to just continue on uh, as as far as they could. Still waiting on the uh, I don't I don't remember if it was canceled actually, but the the HBO Max live action version uh, of this probably never going to happen. But you know why not why why not just leave my heart open and hope for it. <laughs> Especially not with Discovery in charge now. Exactly. Oh, um, number th- four is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, probably nice. one of the funniest interpretations of hell I've ever seen. Uh, number three is Hellboy. Obvious reasons. Uh, number three, number two is Hellraiser, the original. Again, obvious reasons. And number one is This Is The End. Uh, probably the funniest movie, in my opinion, to deal with hell. And there's there's heaven in it too. So I get to I get to knock both of them off uh, for and for my number one. Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god! I feel like an idiot. Hellboy hundred percent would have been on my list. Yeah, like hundred percent. I probably would have put that above like three of these. Well, now you know. <laughs> it's always not like, the Neil Marshall one, right? Hundred percent the Guillermo del Toro one. It's always when we're when we're in conversation and we realized ones that we left off of each other's lists. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, our next list is our top five silent films. Now this is now this one was interesting because silent films and the 1920s when I made the list, it was like it was almost identical because some of the best silent yeah. films came from the 1920s so what i did was silent films i did my 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 top five silent films of 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 any year and then 1920s i did my top five films from the 1920s but i left off whatever i had put on the silent films list okay so if i had put it on the silent films list i did not count it in my 20s list even though most of them from the silent films list would have counted for the 20s list because i wanted some variety um and some some different enough lists. Uh, so my 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 uh, top five silent films. Uh, there is number five is Nosferatu. Uh, Murnau, of course, popping up here. Uh, the original horror movie, the scary uh, one of the scariest classic horror um, pre nineteen fifty ish. I would say um, number four is Metropolis. Uh, I again I mentioned earlier on in this episode. I watched it this past week. Was blown away by how intelligent and still unfortunately very timely. Uh, this movie is 
Uh, number mm. three is um, Modern Times. Uh, we're getting into a little theme for these last three, but my number three is Modern Times, which is, I think, one of Chaplin's best films. Probably has, has some of the best physicality uh, of any of his films. Uh, number two is Sherlock Jr., I think is Buster Keaton's best film. Um, and my number one is The Kid, which is not, I think, Chaplin's best film, but it is my favorite because it is so mm. heartwarming and so sweet. And I love the fact that this movie is basically is essentially responsible for child labor laws as we know them today in in working Hollywood, um, which is great. So the kid, it's a, it's a quick and easy watch. These these last two, Sherlock Jr. and the kid, they're under an hour. Definitely go and check them out. They are absolutely absolutely incredible. Everything on this list is, but those two especially. There you go. I tried to venture outside of the twenties mm-hmm. for my silent films and. You know what? I'm going to make some adjustments real quick. There's still going to be slight overlap, I think. Or I'm going to do my best. So my silent films, I put number five, silent movie from <laughs> Mel Brooks, which they making the fact that this movie is about a director trying to make a silent movie in the 1970s and being told that that's a terrible idea while also this being a silent movie itself in the 1970s is so hilarious to me. And as an amazing cast. Um, City Lights. Obviously, like there's so many different Chaplin films you could have thrown on here. Love City Lights. Number three, this might be a slight cheat because there is sound, but there's no dialogue. And that's, that's, that's what we turtle. do on this show. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the Red Turtle. Nice. I love that film from Studio Ghibli. It is such a beautiful animated film, and it's very moving. I remember sitting in a theater watching that. Was amazed. Um, my number two is the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm, um, I don't love this as much as Nick Cage, specifically <laughs> from the unbearable weight of massive talent, but it is. One of the trendsetters of German Expressionism and one of the biggest influences of Edward Scissorhands. And number one is Metropolis. Not, hands down, Metropolis is my by far my favorite silent film. This film blows my mind. And honestly, if I could remake one film because I want to see what it looks like in a modern effects and scale, it's going to be Metropolis. It would be amazing. So those are my silent films. Yeah, I, I, that makes total sense. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering because when I first saw that Francis Ford Coppola was making his magnum opus Megalopolis, yep. that title just makes me go immediately to, to Metropolis, and I'm wondering if there are going to be any uh, any similarities beyond the title sounding somewhat alike. We'll um, have to find in out. In terms of scope or vision, yeah, I guess we'll have to find out. Um, now, our, our last category is films from the 1920s. Um, pretty straightforward definition of this category here. So, Shane, you, you you tried to keep movies that would be on this list off of off of the other list just for – we both tried for some variety just in – I am, in I am uh, making adjustments in my mind right now. Mm. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> cool. Well, it is, it, is, uh, it is your turn to go first. So I'm going to start with – now, one of my favorite films of all time is Ben-Hur, not this particular Ben-Hur, but the 1920s version is also an incredible feat of cinema. Mm-hmm. So the Ben-Hur, the tale of the Christ is definitely on my list for top 20s films. 
Um, then I got the Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, that is that might be my favorite chaplain. I haven't seen Modern Times yet, and I really want to. Very, I just got good. it from the Criterion Flash sale, so I'm oh, excited yeah. to check it out. Um, my number three is Haxon, which is a fantasy horror documentary hybrid about the history of witchcraft in and this is such a creepy weird german film and there's amazing and iconic imagery of early horror in it it's quite an interesting watch so i'd highly recommend it because i'm guessing most people haven't watched it um i have the phantom of the opera uh lon cheney jr what an iconic adaptation and obviously it's not as bombastic and fun as like the Andrew Lloyd Webber version. Right. And uh, it doesn't have Jared Butler in it. But Don <laughs> Cheney Jr. is quite freaky and intimidating in it. And in the words of SpongeBob SquarePants, oh, Nosferatu. Um, <laughs> Nosferatu is my number one because I honestly, my top three films, silent films and from the 20s are... Nosferatu, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in Metropolis, but Nosferatu from Renau is just such a great horror film. And what a way to cheat copyright and just say, screw you and let me just change the names. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> obviously this is incredible. 100% just Dracula, mm-hmm. except yeah. he made him a rat instead <laughs> yeah. of a sexy Eastern European man. <laughs> um, my number five is The General, uh, getting some Buster Keaton in here, uh, as I always must. Uh, number four is Safety Last, that famous man hanging from clock is only a brief couple minutes from, uh, from here. Uh, this is a mm-hmm. crazy, crazy film uh, with uh, Harold Lloyd uh, starring in it. Uh, number three is Man with a Movie Camera, which is a quasi-experimental documentary directed by uh, Ziga Vertov um, that is basically... Uh, landscapes and cityscapes and uh, camera and, and like basically what we were talking about with Faust earlier, just experimenting with the camera and having fun and showing what you can do with the camera even back then is just flat out remarkable. Um, and, and, and that is basically the entire point of this film. Uh, number two is the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, because how can I not, how can I not yep. have, have, have this on here? Just peak German expressionism. Uh, and number one is the passion of Joan of Arc. Uh, I, it, it blows my mind that we have, that we are able to know at least a semblance of what is, of what was said in Joan of Arc's trial. And the mm-hmm. fact that it is, that it translates so seamlessly and perfectly to the screen is remarkable and also i truly believe that this has one of the best performances in film of all time and that is uh the lead actress whose name i don't want to butcher uh as um i'm just gonna pretend that that wasn't an oversight and i knew you would talk about it so i wanted to have more (laughs) that's uh renee uh genie uh falcon uh falconetti Apologies uh, if I if I if I messed that one up, but uh, yeah, as 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 uh, Joan of Arc, definitely one of the b- best. Not necessarily my favorite, but one of the best film performances of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she didn't really do much after this, which is really sad because she had clearly had a lot of talent. 
Um, it's a striking film. It's an absolutely. amazing film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are our, our, our top five from the 1920s silent films and concerning heaven and hell. Uh, Shane, would you like to tell the listeners what we are watching next week? Do you believe in miracles? Uh, we're going to find out if we do because we're going to be watching Miracle, which is the uh, film about the miracle on the ice when we beat the damn Russians in hockey in the <laughs> Olympics. And you know why we won? Because the power of Kurt Russell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. So Miracle 2004, Kurt Russell, apparently quite good. I have not seen it and neither has Shane. So this will be an exciting first watch for both of us. There you go. Um, And Shane, where can the people find you if they would like to hear more? Come to the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel where I have all of my reviews of basically everything and all my fun shows, which I'm announcing now. It looks like my next director is going to be John Carpenter. So we're going to have some fun with that on Welcome to the Wasteland. Or you could go check out my Instagram, The Wasteland Reviewer, or my Twitter, TikTok, Letterboxd, all the other stuff, and all the fun things that I write at Scribe Magazine and Pop. Hell yeah. Uh, you can find me at thelenientcritic.com. I review movies and stuff there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yes, so just go to lenientcritic. That's L-E-N-I-E-N-T critic.com. Uh, and or follow me on Twitter at Bits of Joel if you feel so inclined. Um, thank you very much for uh, for listening. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it, especially if you've gotten to this point in the episode. It means a lot. And we'll be back next week to talk about Miracle. So for Rowan Wood and Shane Canto, thank you very much. And we will see you next week. 